welcome to the Yoga Teacher Circle podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Ray, yoga teacher. You are needed now more than ever, and your unique voice, message, and offering needs to be shared with the world. In this podcast, we'll talk about all things related to teaching yoga to help you thrive doing what you love most, teaching yoga. So let's dive in. to have Donnie here today and I'm thrilled to introduce you and I have known you I don't even know how many years at this point over six seven years ish I'd say and I've seen you just skyrocket in the impactful work that you are up to and doing in the world right now it's been awesome to watch you grow and evolve and share your message and your story So you do many things. You're a yoga instructor, you're a mindfulness teacher, you're a personal development coach. And the reason that I brought you on today is to kind of dive into the more specific conversation of addiction, recovery, and using yoga and mindfulness for sobriety. I know that we're going to dive right into your personal story in a minute here. But that's the other thing I actually remember is when I first met, around when we first met, I found out a little bit later that you were also sober. And I just remember, having this like immediate sense of connection to you and respect for you just because we both understand like the challenging journey that you go through from addiction into recovery into sobriety even though it's the most beautiful thing as well but it's also very challenging I am so glad to have you here and let's just dive right into you and your story let's start with your story of your own personal addiction and moving into recovery and sobriety Sounds good. Um, Again, thank you. Thank you for having me. So I grew up here in Phoenix, Arizona. Grew up my whole life playing sports, specifically baseball. I played baseball all the way up until my senior year um, at Arizona State. 15 games into my senior year, I had what was my fifth knee operation. And that particular surgery was a massive surgery. It was a cadaver transplant of my meniscus. I was the first person in Arizona to ever have this particular surgery. The doctor at the time, who was the head ortho orthopedic surgeon for Arizona State sold the procedure onto me very well. And, you know, he said, it was this is the first time I've ever done it, but it's been done six or seven times across the U.S. and it's been successful. And, you know, if all goes well, it'll be like having a new knee and you could potentially even be playing baseball again. So I put my, you know, my trust in the hands of the doctor and that I woke up the next day from that surgery and I just knew I would never, never play baseball again from the massive signs and scars of trauma on my knee to just the unbearable, undescribable pain I was in. I knew baseball was was a wrap. It was over for me. And it was that day and for many years after is where my world got turned upside down from a life of an addiction to primarily prescription pills. I did plenty of other drugs, a lot of other stuff, but really that is what had its grip on me where that is what I needed to take every single day just to feel normal. It wasn't even about getting high, especially at the end. Yeah, you know, I I mean, to get into the details of how bad it got for me, I mean, I overdosed in Rocky Point, Mexico once. Um, I remember my brother-in-law and my brother had to come pick me up in an emergency room in the middle of the night in in Mexico and drove me home. And I woke up the next day and wasn't convinced I had a problem. And they wanted me to go to treatment. And I was like, in my mind, I'm not stopping my life for 30 days and going to rehab. Are you kidding me? Like I had anything else going on. But in my mind, 
night. I was like, no way. So I'll just go to some meetings, some meetings around the corner to keep my parents off my back. And I would go into these meetings. My mindset was I go to these meetings for motivation because I'm never going to end up like these people. Like I was better than them or something. I mean, it was so twisted the way I was thinking. And that was my motivation. I'll never end up like these miserable people. Yeah. Never heard a thing. Never heard a thing as far as the message of sobriety and recovery and freedom and hope and service. Nothing. So and can I ask you, how long ago was the surgery itself? That was in uh, the year 2000. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So that's a long time ago at this point. Okay. So then yeah, yeah. at what point did you start going to meetings? And when you were going to the meetings, were you still using? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I was going to the meetings. I mean, maybe I'd have a day or two here, but I mean, I was not... I was not ready. I wasn't ready to surrender. The first treatment center I ended up going to when I finally surrendered was like a Christian-based treatment center um, in the middle of Tennessee. Um, One of my my brother-in-laws found it online and it was pretty cheap and economic for me to go and affordable. So I went and it was good. It laid a foundation. It gave me some time underneath my belt, but theirs was more like Christ-centered and it was less 12-step based, less about community and, and, and service. It was, but it was specific to a demographic and um it was a gift. It gave me a little bit of a taste, but it wasn't going to work for me. So, you know, six months later, I was back out using again. I did a geographic change to Cincinnati, Ohio. I, my mom's side of the family lives there, thinking it would be a fresh start. And you know, I was right back in it in no time. Yeah. My life was just getting very bad in Cincinnati. My dad came and picked me up, drove me back to Phoenix. And I was just like, at this point, I was ready to surrender. And I remember I ended up going to Calvary in Phoenix. And I remember laying in treatment that first day and saying, God, please just tell me what I need to do to get it right this time. I'll do anything. I laid around and I was listening for a sign. And every night at 7 p.m., two people would come in and host a meeting. The first night it was a PA meeting. They said things. These two guys came in and said things like, go to meetings, get a sponsor, work the steps with that sponsor, get a service commitment, just be willing. And I heard it all. I heard it all after that was day one and I knew what I needed to do. I could have left that day and probably stayed sober for a little while at least, but there was plenty more work I had to do with therapy and just being in a safe space for enough time to get a foundation. But I knew I heard it. I asked God and I heard it through the mouths of two men in the program, which is, which is where I see or hear or feel God the most today is through the mouths of other people and the energy that they bring. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Yeah, so I just left treatment and rocked it out for about three years. I was playing in a sober softball game and I hurt my knee. But like a month, two months leading up to that, I kind of got complacent, stopped doing the deal, stopped going to meetings, all the things you hear. Had to have this surgery. I didn't have a plan. I didn't form a team. It was like, I got this. I was like, already making my decision to kind of relapse, which I didn't Mm -hmm. know. But I had this minor surgery, like nothing compared to these other surgeries I had. And I woke up from the surgery. I love the way that I felt. And six days later, I was back in the doctor's office lying about the level of pain. And then I was right back taking pills again. So that was like a six month slip. I physically could not stop on my own. So I knew if I just go to like a five day detox, go somewhere for five days and then really get it this time. And that's what I did. And I have over seven years of sobriety again from that. Incredible. Yeah, really, really awesome. Yeah, thank yeah. you. The relapse is the biggest, the most important part of the story because it's, it's, and you know, at the time, building up that time and having three years on then almost three and a half and then losing all that time that buried me 
a little bit for a while in guilt and shame. And But today it's the best thing that ever happened to me because it's a reminder that the work never yeah. stops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's so powerful. And I know the guilt and shame that comes with the relapse because I had that experience myself after 10 months sobriety and I relapsed and was in like a five month relapse, you know. So I know that feeling and imagining three years, you know, into it and going back out, I can only imagine how hard that would be. But also you're here now. It's part of your story. Like you needed it to be here now doing what you're doing. I remember my rock bottom moment so clear in my relapse. That was the moment that pivoted me into like, no, this has to be it. This is my time to really do this. And that was it. So do you have a rock bottom moment that you had to experience to actually commit to your sobriety? Yeah, I think it was just, it was what I was um, living in Cincinnati and I had tried all these other ways and like the people that I was hanging out with, like in inner city Cincinnati and just like drug dealers and people that like typically normally I would not be hanging out with, but you know, they were the ones that had access to the things that I wanted pills. I could get them from any doctor, but you know, a month's prescription would last five days. And so at some point I would have to have other ways to figure out how to really feel normal. Yeah, just some some terrible decisions. I had kind of the neighborhood where I was hanging out with. I had a guy that attempted to like steal my car and pulled a gun out on me. And like, that was kind of like it for me and just scared out of my mind from it. And the decisions that I was making, I had a brother that lived in Cincinnati with me, thank God, who's also sober today. That was there to really like pull me out of it and keep me in a safe space so my dad could come and bring me back to Phoenix So yeah, it was just really terrible decision after terrible decision, selfishness, like putting so much, so like my mom and my dad through so much worry and pain, it just got so tiring. And, you know, at the very end, I just, you know, every day I would wake up not thinking about taking a shower or exercising or even going to use the bathroom. It was like, wake up, I would be anxious, um, riddled in fear and anxiety. I would pop my pills on an empty stomach because they'd kick in in like 15 minutes when I had no food in my stomach. And then I'd get that just like (sighs) calm relief. And then I could go about my day for about an hour. And then the cycle would start to come again because the pills would wear off. And that got so exhausting at the end. Yeah, yeah. I, I get it. I totally get it. Did your friends and family know that you were in a relapse or did you hide that? Oh, the relapse. Yeah, no, they yeah, knew yeah. right away. I mean, I, I smoked a lot of pot wow. and like it, the, the second I would smoke, like my eyes would get totally trashed. Yeah. So a lot of times I think like even my mom, if I was just high on weed, she would think it's something way worse because I just, I mean, honestly, people still ask me when I'm completely sober if I'm stoned. So I don't know if it's my <laughs> eyes or yeah. what. They get really lazy or get really glossy, yeah. but there was no hiding it. And so that's kind of what I did in the slip and the relapse. It was like, Oh, I can just smoke weed. Medical marijuana was just happening. And so I was like justifying it. Like I've got a really messed up knee, but I don't need, I don't even take Advil for it. And yoga is a big piece of why I've found so much reprieve from the physical pain. But that was like me justifying it. So I'd go to these dispensaries or these like places you could go and buy and hang out in there and smoke weed. And I was like, this is the coolest thing. But then I'm right there hanging out with those same people and then end up getting different drugs and pills from these people who are apparently in there to treat their 
medicinal marijuana treatment, right? Yeah. Which is, that's a whole other thing. But so yeah, they, they totally yeah. knew like right away. They yeah. Knew. yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I, I was in mine and I was able to hide my relapse from everyone for most of it until it became obvious to my mother. But coming back to the guilt and shame for a minute, once you did get sober the final time, how long did it take for you to start to actually share your story with addiction and sobriety outside of your community? of AA or therapy or treatments? How long did it take for you to feel like empowered to actually share your message? Yeah, I think it was probably, um, I was, when I got my teacher training yoga certification, um, I was actually at the end of that. I was actually in the part of the relapse where it was just like a lot of weed. But then, so it was probably another two years of teaching after that. Maybe one and a half, two years. And it was, I think, I believe you've gone through the same training with Off the Mad Into the World. That was really like what really activated everything. I mean, Sean Horn is really the one for me that made yoga make sense. Going to her first class at a Wonderlust festival and she starts talking and I'm like, this girl is talking to me. And then she starts talking about looking at other people and understanding that they're just doing the best they can with what they have. And I'm like, is this chicken, is she in uh, treatment, recovery? Yeah. Because she's like speaking that language and Sean is sober, but she's not like actively in recovery, yeah. but she knows the deal. So I talked to her after class and she said, you know, I'm doing this off the mat leadership training. There's actually one in uh, Minneapolis in one month. And I was like, I'm there. Yeah. And I signed up for it. I ended up having somebody actually gift and they heard what I wanted to do and, and actually sponsored my awesome. training. Awesome. So I go there and like, and then that just completely changed everything. Cause in that training, they task you with a say, a project to go back into your community and start a service a commitment, a service project. Mm-hmm. And I started Sunday Yoga Service, which was a monthly yoga event that we had around at some of the hotels here. In that first one, the very first one we did, I shared my story. I shared a little bit about why it was important for me to share it. And then from that day, everything completely changed. Everything I was maybe worried about as a newer yoga teacher and getting a following and having people like me. And I... I'm so much better at this today, but I really, really used to care a lot about what people thought of me. And so I I didn't want to be completely seen. And little did I know that like my past is actually today, it's my best asset. And the moment I was able to share that, I was like, people could relate. It wasn't like, oh, baseball player, now yoga teacher. No, there was some stuff that went down all between that. And it was all self-inflicted, um, rooted in an addiction. And man, the moment I shared that, it was like, I found my voice. I found my purpose. I became relatable. People started reaching out to me and saying, what you said helped me. And I was like, wow, all those dumb decisions, everything I ever did, it can actually help people today. And that moment and that training completely changed my whole career. And there's no way I would be where I am today if I wouldn't have shared that. I would probably just be another male yoga teacher, like maybe trying to start a life coaching program. But like the sobriety thing has given me an identity and I love it because selfishly, um, it gives me a whole nother layer of accountability. If I go out and use, I'm kind of going to lose some street cred in the the sober world and lose lose my purpose. And so I love that I have that layer of accountability. And I do feel like being sober is like this cheat code. I should say being sober, but also having a mindfulness practice, a yoga, consistent yoga and meditation, because that's to me is like recovery 2.0. Yeah, yeah. I love that. 
it's so powerful once we find our voice with our own story and sharing our message in a really vulnerable, authentic way. I remember holding back my story for at least three, four years. I was terrified of telling the truth. And I had the same experience as you once I started to share my message and my story when I've been through the response was like, it blew me away. And I didn't realize that it could go that direction. And then ever since it's just been very similar as you. So let's back up a minute. At what point in your sobriety did you start using yoga and meditation and mindfulness and then transition to like, I want to become a teacher, actually? So at my rock bottom, my mom was practicing yoga. I always say before yoga was cool, but I don't even know if that's cool to say. But it was like she was doing it way a while back and practicing. And she would always tell me like when I was really struggling physically, but also spiritually and just she knew I was really in a tough place. You should go to yoga, Donna. You, you should come with me. And I would say yoga's for girls and hippies. I'm not doing that crap. Like that's where, you know, that's kind of the mindset I had along with just no open-mindedness at all. And then I finally went with her once to like a 24-hour fitness or a Bally's or something, like a gym yoga class. And I knew I would be doing yoga the rest of my life from the one class that I did only from the physical because I was favoring my left leg for almost 15 years. So my right hip, low back, everything was out of whack and these stretches and just being able to get into that practice. I knew it just from a physical standpoint. But today I always say little did I know what it would do for the mind and the soul. I wanted more. I knew I was going to do it the rest of my life. So I wanted to go to teacher training and it wasn't really necessarily in the beginning to teach. But like a week, a week into teacher training, I was like, Oh, I got to share this. I got it. I want to teach. I want to quit my job and just be a full time teacher. And I did that right after teacher training. And then I got a rude awakening like, Oh, this actually isn't going to work like that. Right. And some of it was like thinking that every yoga studio and every yoga studio manager and they're all going to be these like amazing, happy, free spirits, you know, and then seeing kind of the business side of it and some of the cattiness and some of the just kind of craziness um, on top of not being able to just quit my job and go make $25, you know, an hour teaching two classes a day. And I just couldn't get all these classes right away. So I went back to work and I slowly within like two years progressed out of it back into full-time teaching. So I was like 40 hours a week working three at three classes. Then I got like six classes and worked 40 hours, but took a remote job where I was working three days in the office, two days out, all the way to the point where I was a 20 hour a week contract recruiter and teaching like 15 classes, Mm -hmm. finally to the point where I could completely let it go. So when I look back, it was like this nice, slow progression, how it was supposed to be, not the way I wanted it to be, but it was perfect looking back. Yeah. I love that you brought that up too, since this conversation and podcast is for yoga teachers. Since you brought that up, let's talk about that for a minute. I certify and host teacher trainings, and I see that happen all the time with teachers. It's like this big idea of, okay, I'm just going to be able to to become full-time right away. And it takes a lot of work. It's hard to even find teaching jobs at studios at times for $25 to $30 an hour for class. I love that you shared the realness of your transition. Yeah, you still had a job, but you worked towards your goal and you were able to let it go because you were patient. And I see that a lot of teachers aren't patient and they might give up before they get there. And it makes me sad to see that because so many teachers have such a beautiful message and voice and offering, you know, so it really does take time. Hey, yoga teacher. 
So we all know it's been a really chaotic, crazy, and challenging time for everyone. And the world needs you now more than ever. I'd love for you to join me in my upcoming online trauma-informed yoga teacher training, September 26th and 27th. I believe every yoga teacher should have an understanding of trauma and how it impacts the mind and body. Every single person has experienced some form of trauma in their life, which means your students show up to yoga knowingly or unknowingly with trauma, PTSD, and chronic stress. Understanding how to teach yoga with a trauma-informed lens can only help you better serve your students, your clients, and your community. This training is held online, which means you can join in from anywhere in the world from the comfort of your own home. Register and secure your spot on my website at taylorrayyoga.com. Now, back to the episode. I was going to ask you this question towards the end, but since we're talking about this now and then we'll come back, I've really seen you take your business from in-person to online, especially since coronavirus hits. I'd love to hear, I know we could have the entire hour to be on this topic, but I'd love to hear like one of your biggest tips on how you've really grown your online business and presence that you feel like teachers can implement. When coronavirus hit, I had received information from people in the medical field that I trust that didn't ever sweat anything. Like none of these other SARS and all these other things that have come before, never a big deal. And this was the one time they were really saying this was a big deal. And I was still teaching classes and I just finally told the studio and actually posted something about it that I'm not going to be teaching. I actually haven't taught since then in a studio. So I knew there was certain information I knew and I didn't feel great. And it really just came back to my whys, which was, was like my parents who both live here, who now you they live, they're divorced and they live, they live alone. You know, like even with my dad and he lives for his family, he lives for sports and now he's taken all of that away. So if I didn't feel right going into these yoga studios and teaching and then being around them too. So something had to give and it was going into the public classes. So right away, and and this is the gift of recovery and what a lot of yoga principles have taught me, just the idea of, of service and being able to the way I can stay out of my own way. And it's almost autopilot now where coronavirus hits. And then I just like, I think I recorded 10 free audio meditations for tough times. And then I started a meditation challenge. So I started a meditation challenge for the first month in coronavirus and then did it for a second month. I recorded every single one of those because if you do it live, you just hit save. And so I had all this content and I started recording yoga videos Um, and the first few, like just doing them for free, Um, putting them onto YouTube. And then eventually, even the classes I was teaching for studios, I would put uh, my phone, like if that was Zoom, I would put a phone behind the the computer. So I was recording those. So like... I probably taught 50, 60 classes in those two months for a couple of the studios. So I just filmed all those and had all that content. So now there's this massive library of meditations and yoga. um, And I just had to be okay with making the investment to pay somebody to create a platform where I could have a, a subscription model. And to me, I don't know what the future holds for yoga studios. I, I'm unfortunately a lot will struggle. Some won't make it, but that doesn't mean we don't need teachers out there. And part of my mission is to reach as many people as possible. And so if I'm not leveraging technology, then I'm not aligning with my mission. Yeah. I mean, now, now just the fact that 
I have so much time back and I don't, I'll never have the time now to teach 18 classes, 15 classes that I was teaching as many as 15 less than eight months ago. So like the, the 30 minutes getting there, the 30 minutes back, like it's not just an hour of teaching. It's way more than Yeah. Yeah. It's so much more. I remember when I was teaching up to 22 classes a week, like never again, I will never do that again. (laughs) You know? So did you have an idea even before this that you wanted to take your business online or did this kind of skyrocket you in that direction? It was kind of happening. So I have an online coaching program. Um, my coaching program is called The Shift. It's Transformation of the Mind, Body, Soul. And it bl- implements personal development, yoga, mindfulness. I had created a couple. And then The Shift to Sobriety yeah. is another one that's specifically geared towards sobriety and recovery. Some of it is the similar content. If not the same content, it's just packaged for a different audience. But it's some of this stuff is just the most, some of the most powerful personal development um, exercises I've gone through. Doing, being a Lululemon ambassador for the last five years, like so much personal development, so many amazing exercises that I've done with them that I just use on my clients now because they had that much of an impact. So I had some in place and this really just activated everything. Mm-hmm. It really it really helped me just giving away a lot of the free content initially. And, and I think I grew, doubled my email list, which wasn't big to begin with. And that was the stuff I was dragging my feet yeah. on and doubled it just by the meditation challenge alone and being able to grow grow my audience that yeah, way. That's awesome. To put it into like bullet points, giving away free content and then not being afraid to invest to help grow the now, business. Yeah. Yeah. And getting over myself about talking into a camera. I always reference um, I don't know if you've seen the Mr. Rogers, the newer one with Tom Hanks, and he talks about when you know when he's looking into the camera, he just thinks about that one kid who's struggling right now that he that he could be helping and so when i i resisted this i didn't want to put the phone up and like talking to it and then i think about one person and if my mission is to reach as many as as many people as possible it's like what sean corn says it's like how how dare we not how dare i not like carry this message and so when i'm able to yeah get over yourself share your message share, share what's on your heart be vulnerable I feel like if you don't, if you're not authentic and I tell newer teachers or teachers in teacher training, the best thing you can do is be you and be authentic and speak from the heart. When it comes down to it, I've taken some classes from some pretty well-known yoga teachers who built their way up and their sequencing and Sean's sequencing is as basic as it gets. simple. It really is. Yeah. 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 But it's her words and it's her heart and it's her energy. So, but like, I think about this is great for the newer teachers coming back to being so worried about what other people think of me is that for the first probably two years, right? I'd write down my sequence, you know, the three different sequences, whatever it was going to be. And then there was always like two or three nuggets, like spiritual nuggets I wanted to say. And those were written down on this little index card and it would be by the music I would have this little security blanket there that I could go back to in case I forget the sequence. I can go back and look at it. And I was like obsessively worried about messing up the sequence for like two years straight and gave so much energy to that. And then one day I forgot my sequence (laughs) 
and nobody cared. Yeah. Nobody cared. And I was like, oh yeah. my God, I have been bugging out about this and nobody cared. Yeah. And so that's just a great, like, be you, be authentic, teach from your heart. Otherwise, you're just another yoga teacher that's spitting out sequence posture names. Yeah. And not really teaching so, the meaning of yoga. I love that. And I teach my teachers in training that as well. It's like, if you forget something, just crack a joke, make it fun and funny. Like, oh, what's next? You know, like it's absolutely okay. And we're our own worst critic. We get in our own way. I love that you said that because it's really not about us. It's not about us. It's about who can we serve and how can we help spread this, this practice that's so healing and beneficial. Yeah, those are some great nuggets for new teachers. Let's kind of circle back now in the in the beginning of your recovery and sobriety. What were the main tools and practices that really helped you? And how does yoga and mindfulness really help people in the early stages of recovery specifically? Yeah, the early practices, I mean, can, the consistent yoga and meditation. So I feel like there's... I still go to, well, not right now, but I would go to one men's meeting a week that, you know, there it was the, meet, the first meeting I went to when I, over these last seven years, every Saturday, 7 a.m., it was kind of my non-negotiable when I was in town. But I couldn't help notice in the, a lot of the men with many years, 20 plus years of sobriety and, and hearing some of the things that they were saying. And I was like, how with that much time is that crap coming out of your mouth? Like there's newcomers, there's people here. Like, how is that even happening? And maybe there's a little judgment there, but I believe that, well, I believe in the mind-body connection, which I'm sure if anybody's listening on your platform, they do too. But that are issues in our tissues. And like 12 steps is unbelievable. There's so much freedom, so many tools, like it's a design for living that works and people that aren't even addicts or alcoholics could really benefit off of it. But there's nothing in there from a mind, a body. So yeah, we share our deepest, darkest secrets. We we ask for forgiveness and make our amends. But on an energetic level, like, you know, the trauma, the guilt, the shame, it's in your body. And my belief is that if like in order, the only way we're going to be able to get through it is to go through it and move that stuck energy. And that's the missing piece, in my opinion, <laughs> to the 12 steps is yoga or any form of just mindful, intentional movement. Yeah. Where you're actually moving your body and connecting it to your breath and working through some of the, the stuck, suppressed issues, trauma, whatever it might be. So it is essential for me today. And this is like emotional sobriety and long-term sobriety is my my first hour of my day is absolutely sacred. There's non-negotiables. Nothing gets in the way, but it doesn't matter where I'm at, traveling in a hotel, in the middle of nowhere, finding time to do my meditation before I look on my phone. Mm -hmm. And right now it's not looking at my phone for the first hour of my day. That goes in waves, but I've really tried to try to be consistent with that because I encourage that in my coaching yeah. clients because I know what it's done for me. But just making sure really I get my, I walk my dogs, I do my meditation and I move my body. And it's not even yoga every day. Sometimes I do the spin bike or like a hit class or something for at least 20 minutes or jump on the rebounder and trampoline and just get that in. And those are my non-negotiables. And then I can start to get a little bit more reactive and respond to emails and do those things. But that has been life-changing for me, winning the morning. Um 
Like that's, I cannot stress that enough. The worst thing we can do for ourselves is wake up and grab our phones and start looking at emails, text, social media. And I used to do that. So I know, but I know the transformation and how it's changed my life. But every so often something will, there'll be a day where something happens or I just say F it. And then I'm a mess that day. So I know what's at stake if I don't do that. Yeah. It's interesting that you brought up to, you know, listening to people that are like 20 plus years sober. And the negative, toxic cycle that they might have still been in. That's the reason. So when I first got sober in my treatment center, we had to go to AA program in rehab. And so it was a forced thing, which I was okay with, but I never connected personally. Like my yoga and meditation and mindfulness was what I used. And I remember my therapist, who was very gung ho about the 12 steps, telling me that if I didn't do them, if I didn't go to meetings, that I would relapse. And I just never believed that because I was like, well, I have another path though yoga, meditation, mindfulness, like that is what I connect to personally. It's because I was seeing a lot of what you just said in the meetings, a lot of toxicity. So many of my friends relapsed in there. I stayed in a negative crowd by going. And instead of being outside of that, what was possible growth Mm -hmm. and healing. And I remember telling my therapist, just watch me then. Like, if you don't believe that I'm going to stay sober through another path, just watch. And I still am, you know. So I love that you combine and see kind of the missing pieces, maybe not for everyone, but for some people, that mindfulness and that connection to inner self, inner listening, self-love. That's such an important piece that does get skipped, I think, from an AA program or 12-step program. And I remember also using, and they're similar, yama and niyama, like, like those were my practices in early recovery. No harm telling the truth. And there's a lot of crossover from that to the 12 steps. And I think that that's really beautiful. Absolutely. And I won't discredit like even the things that are um, game changers in 12-step programs are community. Yeah human connection. I believe the opposite of addiction is connection. So when we start getting disconnected, that's where things can get messy. And then service, there are some amazing things and that connection. And part of the reason I still would show up at my 7am meeting, it wasn't always about me. It was just about, it was actually to help others. Like maybe there's something I can say, because yeah, there'd be times I would leave there or even walk out early sometimes because I was just not feeling it. But yeah, so it's looking for the similarities, not the differences, implementing these other practices, the personal development, the meditation and the yoga. And it's cool because now I just it's a career and I get, you know, I I can be paid and be taken care of financially by doing all of these same things. Mm -hmm. And one might say, like, from a sobriety standpoint, well, you know, you get these old school AA guys initially with my launch of the shift to sobriety. And I'm getting like comments like, well, you can get that for free in AA. And I'm like, well, you actually can't. You can get AA, but you can't get what I'm offering. Mm-hmm. And people, in a sense, giving me crap for making money, which by the way, like the shift to sobriety that I launched, I'm not making any money off that. It costs way more to launch the program on my website. So I, you know, initially for a second, it's like I, I get a little annoyed by that, but I know my intention and that's what it all comes mm-hmm. down to. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
let's talk about why do you even think that people turn to drugs and alcohol in the first place? And I love that you said connection and community. And I, I truly believe that as well. Lack of true, genuine connection to other and a sense of community and, and genuine support, unprocessed trauma and not feeling into what we need to like go through it, not bypassing it. So what do you see since you do so much work with other people in sobriety? What's like that common kind of theme that's woven through everyone's story about why they turned to it in the first place. It's a whole lot of lack of self-love. It's unfaced fear, unresolved trauma, an unwillingness to do the work. It's being closed-minded, not getting honest, mm-hmm. honest with themselves and then getting honest with other people. But it's it's our wounds. It's our core wounds. And it might be all the way back from childhood or it might be something else um, a little bit later. But essentially, it's the um, the idea of disconnection. And we, you know, we disconnect from the world and we disconnect from the planet when we start to disconnect connect from ourselves. And whether people unresolved trauma or pain, we bypass the pain by numbing out and numbing out might look like taking a drink or doing drugs or popping pills, or it might mean grabbing your phone. It might mean getting busy. Even right now, if you talk about whether you're in addiction or not listening to this in the pandemic, everything you're seeing out there, like, you know, what mindful self-compassion teaches us is, you know, the three components are really self-kindness, which just means put a supportive arm over your own shoulder, like you would a friend who is struggling, but typically we don't do that. We beat ourselves up. We judge our bodies. We self-critique. We call ourselves names. So it's that idea of, you know, being your own best friend, being your inner ally instead of your um, enemy. And then the second piece is common humanity. Common humanity says that if you're a human being, you will struggle. We're all flawed works in progress. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to suffer. We're all going to go through tough times. That's what, that's the common peril, the common struggle that connects addicts and alcohol. You know, ideally that this whole thing with what everything you're seeing out there, whether it was coronavirus, Black Lives Matter, any other stuff, political stuff, the struggle should be connecting us all. But it's disconnecting. And I believe it's unfaced fear and unfaced trauma and a whole hell of a lot of coming out in the form of projection and other stuff. So and essentially should be connecting us all. But obviously, we're seeing a lot of disconnect. And then the last piece is mindfulness, which, you know, says stay with the pain, stay with the challenge, stay with the unwanted emotion long enough to actually work through it, right? Stay with it, sit in it. And also, but don't hold on to it so long that you become over identified and it becomes your story. The victim is or over catastrophizing. So it's that sweet balance, but the self-love is a huge piece of it. And I just feel like when we don't love ourselves, right, we will seek for it outside of ourselves. And whether that again is drugs, alcohol, or somebody else, or the big car or the job, like we're trying to fill a void we can't fill ourselves. And so, you know, a lot of it comes back to just self-love and and really loving ourselves first. I mean, I laugh because I lead a retreat and I'm wearing a shirt. I make these shirts that say, love yourself first. This is not how I was brought up. I was brought up to push through the pain, never let them see you sweat, like no pain, no gain. And now I'm talking about loving yourself. And I cool because I work with like professional athletes and and we're talking about loving yourself. Like literally it was that one of my main guys I work with and quote in Sports Illustrated, which blows my mind. And you got this guy's guy 
that also didn't grow up, grew up in the inner city, grew up with way more trauma than I did. And this is what we're talking about now, like changing the conversation on a stage with the masculine of all masculine NFL football players. And that is like, that's amazing to me. And it's great to just see somebody like that use the platform on a way bigger scale and talk about these things. I mean, that is what really lights me up. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because this conversation really does need to be normalized, especially from people from the outside. Might It might be shocking, but that person connects to so many other people and people listening and watching can relate and say, oh my gosh, me too. Wow, that person's going through what I'm going through or they got through it. Yeah, that's really powerful. So when you have someone who is sober, but they're new to yoga and mindfulness and they're, they're curious about it, like, well, how can this help me in my past? of sobriety, what kinds of tools and practices do you share with them? And what do you tell them about how it can help them? Yeah, you know, with meditation, typically the first thing anybody that doesn't practice will say to me if they find out I teach meditation is that they say, I can't meditate. My mind never stops thinking. And I say, nobody's does. And so we keep it simple and we give your mind something to focus on, whether it's your breath, the candle, a word, a mantra, but like keeping it super simple and really stressing that it's so much more about consistency. Like you're better off meditating three minutes a day for seven days a week than 10 minutes twice a week. It's all about the consistency and it's not about not thinking. That's kind of a benefit and byproduct. Because if we go into meditation and we think, I'm going to try not to think, you're just going to think more. And so again, it's even with maybe athletes or just really anybody, if you can think about like when your mind leaves, simply come back, simply use your breath and just keep coming back. And when you come back, that's not a bad thing. Like, oh God, there goes my monkey mind again. It's a good thing. That's awareness that you notice you've left and you come back and it's like doing a rep with a free weight. Every time you notice and come back, your mind is getting stronger. So make that your practice. And then introducing like super simple breath techniques, which turn in for some people that is their meditation, box breath, four count inhale, hold, four count exhale, hold, or just counting breath. The the breath that I use a lot is just super simple, slow inhale. And like you're blowing out a candle or exhaling through a straw. Like that's what I find myself doing when I'm sitting in traffic and late somewhere or getting stressed. That's the go-to for me. So keeping it super simple making it feel attainable so they don't get discouraged and then give up on it. And really just encouraging them. It's like brushing your teeth. You can't see that it's working. You just have to trust that it's working. And I think about it even with growing up and not having these tools of meditation. I think it's Gandhi or the Dalai Lama talks about if if every kid meditated since they were in elementary school, like we would have peace in the world. We wouldn't have what, you know, I'm paraphrasing it, but like I would have done anything to have been taught this, to know that we are not our thoughts. And so just the simple practice of letting go of thought what that does for us, you know, even if we're in meditation and we're thinking about what's for lunch, that might not be a negative thought, but it's still a thought that's pulling us out of our bodies. We let it go and come back so that when we are going about our day and we have some negative thoughts about I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough. It's the same practice. We let go of the thought and we come back. So simplifying the meditation practice using apps like Headspace, Aura, Insight Timer, like guided meditations, just opening up the door for people just to start. Mm -hmm. And then with yoga, same thing. People find out I teach yoga, especially men that don't practice. I can't teach yoga or I can't practice. I can't even touch my toes or I'm not flexible. So it's really just simplifying it and yeah, making it act, making it accessible. Yeah. I love that. Adding little bits that are like that you can help someone be successful in daily versus creating something too big and massive where it's hard to fit into your time or your day or you get overwhelmed and then you stop and you quit. That's really great. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. 
So I've heard you say this before, and I've said it before, I can resonate that now living a sober life, you're living a life beyond your wildest dream. And it's so awesome to hear you say that it's so inspiring and makes my heart really happy. How do you express to people what that feels like to actually not only be sober, you're saying maybe the guy 20 years, that's also not happy, but they're sober versus like you're sober and you're living an empowered life, like you're in your purpose and you're really doing it. How do you express that to people? I, you know, I think through, for me, it's all about action. And I, I love the quote, I don't know whose it is, but I know it's that whole idea of, you know, lead by example, not by opinion. And I mean, my God, I think we've all seen one too many opinions, especially these last six months or so. And so to be the change, I mean, I have my coaching program is called The Shift, right? And it's all about transformation, being a stand for transformation. The change happens from the inside out. Whatever you're wanting, go do it. It's karma. You, it can't be denied. You get what you give. So I already forgot your initial question. So I don't want to get too off track. What yeah, was the initial well, question to that? About like, and also maybe thinking about the person that is not even sober yet, or they're sober curious about like, well, they're thinking about and they might want to or they know they want to, but they just haven't made that step. If you're talking to them and you're trying to express, man, my life, I could not have imagined I would be here now because mm. I'm sober. Like, how do you express that to someone that is sober, curious or sober, but still not happy? Yeah, I think it's simply by sharing my story, yeah. sharing my experience, strength and hope. And anything that I say in my life, it's not to impress, but to impress upon what's possible. Like what this program has taught me in yoga is I know nothing. I love the fact that humility is a sign of strength and not weakness. I didn't think that in the past. I always will be learning, always will be growing because I know that keeps me out of victimization, always evolving, even on my own mess ups or if somebody's done something messed up to me that I can learn and then I can grow from it. So a life beyond my wildest dreams just means like, who knew that my messy past would be my message? And who knew that I could help others and the impact and the, the broad range of demographics from a 15-year-old boy to a 76-year-old woman that I have in my coaching program to a pro athlete to somebody that has no athletic skills. Like the teachings are the mm -hmm. same. The message is the same. It's all about cultivating more awareness Awareness in our life, because awareness is the first step in creating any kind of change. Mm -hmm. Awareness is what wakes us up out of the trance, which, you know, a lot of people have basically either slept off through their life or, um, or they've been moving at warp speed their whole lives, right? So they have this story of, I'm not enough, which probably came from their parents or from somebody in their childhood or their first partner. And so they go out in life and they try to be enough and they go and they do and they do the next thing and they keep looking around the corner and checking the next item off the to-do list and they're crushing it in life in terms of career and business but relationships and everything else is failing miserably, yeah. right? And it's a loop that we get caught in and awareness is what brings us out. So it's all about the consistency of the practices that bring more awareness into our life, that bring us above the line into consciousness to know like, hey, I'm, I'm here, I'm being present and having tools to be able to give people your time and not feel like I need to be looking around the corner and checking off the next item on the to-do list. Like still be productive, but bring an energy 
that feels calm and centered. Like that's the best way to lead is to carry a calm presence, not be like a disaster and a hot mess, even though like you're at the top of the ladder and you're the CEO, but what you're giving back to the people is toxic. So I just think a life beyond my wildest dreams means freedom, sober, right? Sober is huge. The fact that being sober gives me this, I feel like a cheat code in life where like I can see beyond and the 12 steps and everything is, yeah, I did get sober, but it's, I don't know about you, but I don't think about drinking. I don't think about using. It's about being free. And mostly it's free for myself and how cool that I can actually be selfish today. And I can um, start a sober online meeting that I have once a week, which is kind of for me because I don't have to leave my house and, but other people can come in, right? Or I can um, like the ways that I can be of service. That's selfish because I know it makes me feel better, but at least the selfish stuff I do today isn't destroying everybody else around me. It's actually helping everybody. That's like the ultimate shift where I can still be in my fourth step where it was like selfishness and self-centeredness. And so innately, some of that is in me, but it's in a way where I can frame it and actually help others through the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's through, yeah, we're sober, but it's through all of the work. It's all of the work and the peeling back the layers to learn how to love ourselves. And then once we love ourselves, it's like... And it's still work, right? It's everyday work. It doesn't stop. It doesn't end. But once you have that sense of true connection to self, how would you ever want to give that up? So I love that. That's freedom right there. That's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Freedom's been my word for the year, the last couple of years. And that's a big word in sobriety, just in life. You know, when I'm going through the motions or somebody needs a little help or somebody's calling that uh, maybe is kind of, I know they're going to be kind of nagging, but they need, they need to talk to somebody and I can just... Just be like, Donnie, how free do you want to be? And that's my pattern interrupt that reminds me of, brings me to my rock bottom. I do want to remember some of that, but I'm not stuck in the shame anymore. It's actually the fire that gets me off my butt when I want to do me and like watch Netflix and not pick up the phone and help somebody. So freedom is just so powerful. And I believe that willingness equals freedom. So if I'm willing to do the work. If I'm willing to help somebody else, if I'm willing to take care of myself and be in the practice. Mm-hmm. I can be and a life beyond my wildest dreams is all about freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. That's beautiful. Really, really beautiful. Would you say that that is your greatest gift? that you've received from your path with addiction or do you have anything else to share about your greatest gift from it? Yeah, so freedom is a huge piece of it, but I think what often gets overlooked, call it yoga or sobriety, is the people. The people that I've met with, people like you, other teachers, right? And mentors and friends, you know, early on in sobriety, men that they know me one day see me at a meeting and they would authentically do anything to help anything and seeing them do that for other people. And then the people that yoga has has connected me to, I mean, it is mind blowing to think of the opportunities that I've gotten, what I've learned, the mentors getting to go to the Super Bowl last year. And it's all really because of yoga. I am like forever grateful and in debt to yoga and the people of sobriety. So really the um, the people is like, uh, it's just, you know, and and Lululemon working for them, starting as an ambassador and working for the company and leading their own personal development. It's all because of yoga. It's crazy. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the community, the yoga community is amazing. The connections. Yeah, that's awesome. 
You mentioned earlier about one of your non-negotiables, but what are your top three daily non-negotiables that you have to do to fill up your own cup? Because the work you're doing is massive. You're out, you're serving, you're filling up other people's cups or showing them the tools to do that. What do you do to fill yourself up first? It's, um, I mean, really, it's simple. It's meditation. Yeah. It's movement. It might not be yoga every day. I practice fairly consistently. And when I'm teaching in a studio, I don't do the classes. I walk yeah. around. And But here on film, you got to, when you're doing one at home, you got to do the class. So I get to do my yoga yeah. class. Yeah. So I practice pretty consistently, but it's meditation, it's movement. And then it's just time. I mean, I've got my dog sitting behind me that making sure if I think about what makes time stop for me, it's watching them and playing with them. And, you know, those times where like I don't even notice I have a smile on my face and I'm just fully immersed in that moment. So spending time, I would say, with just grouping my dogs in there with just like family is super grounding for me. And those are the non-negotiables and those really have to be in place in order for me to, to really be the best version of myself. But that morning routine is that's my big non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything that I could stress, it's that, you know, I've heard many brain doctors and research, um, some of the smartest people in the world talking about the best thing we can do is before our feet hit the ground, write down ideally or think about three things you're grateful for. And at the end of the day, write down three good things that happened. So like before you hit the lights, again, you're not looking at your phone, staring at your screen screen, looking at all what's going wrong in the world or politics. And then you hit the lights and go to bed because that messes with your sleep bad, which messes with your health if your body's not resting and restoring. Mm-hmm. So really winning the morning and the first hour of your day and the last hour of your day are sacred and game changers if you have the discipline and you can stay consistent with just knowing that you're taking care of yourself. Yeah, there. yeah, that's powerful. I actually also started just a couple of weeks ago, deleting both Instagram and Facebook off my phone and the evenings completely remove the app and then on weekends take take the app off completely and if I have to do any work I'll do it on my computer because I was noticing I would open the apps up without even realizing and it was so unconscious and it's like an addiction it's a total addiction and I started to realize why am I even in this app right now I didn't even think about opening it and that's when I realized that I was actually like felt addicted to it so I started setting boundaries and it's been the best thing ever and now I've got my morning routine as well, where the app's off my phone, I do my whole meditation, my gratitude. And then when it's time, I'll bring the apps back on, I'll have them there for a certain amount of hours. And that's been really freeing as well. But it's so important. Is there a way to time that or do you have to manually do that? Yeah, I I manually do it. It's easy. You just click the app, delete, and then you go to the app store in the morning and it just click the upload. It just uploads right away. It doesn't really take much time at all. Yeah, well, my little, when you said I was look, opening up the apps, not even thinking about it, I remember, I don't know, probably a year and a half ago, I was in a yoga class and I went over to my phone and I was probably going to change the music, hit the Instagram app. Like I obviously wasn't teaching and looking at it, but I didn't even, I, like that was the first thing that I did. And so, yeah, that was a good good lesson for me too, to uh, slow my roll on my screen time when it comes to that yeah. stuff. But there's balance there because we're teachers, we have to grow our brand. And, you know, if you can get to the point where I have health now and have paid for that where they can do that part of it or I'm like really building that up and um, when I'm on there there's intention behind Mm -hmm. it not like going down the rabbit hole. Absolutely. Yeah. I've had to set hours for myself that that's when I go on, I work on my business and brand connect all of that. So delegation is key. It's awesome. Let's start closing up with what work are you currently doing? Are you immersed in? Are you sharing? And what programs do you have going on right now? 
So I've been doing my own uh, mindfulness X, which comes from like positive psychology. I've been doing some, it's like do it your own pace training. That's kind of the stuff that I'm doing, which is cool because they give you a lot of content to teach back. My programs, my my big things, I just launched, launched a, a shop, an online shop that has shirts like this one and some cool other ones, ones that say, find your center, highly meditated, trust the process, water bottle stickers. There's that stuff on there. I have a, a nonprofit called aftermath community, which supports the friends and families that get left behind when one of their loved ones dies from the disease of addiction. That is like, you know, I don't know if in your leadership training it off the map, but we sat in a circle and we each had to answer that question. Like, what's the one thing that breaks your heart more than anything? And for me, that's what I was going to share. And the lady sitting right next to me starts talking about how she just lost her son to a heroin overdose two months before that. And so I'm immediately thinking about what it would have been like for my mom to have to wake up every single day knowing she lost her baby boy. And now I've, I mean, I've had plenty of friends and plenty of people close to me who that has happened to. So that's my, that's why I'm started this nonprofit and the proceeds are going towards that. I put up one of those birthday fundraisers on Facebook today for it. So that, and then my online coaching, my 90 day coaching program, which is one-on-one, we do them most of the time, Skype or FaceTime, like we're doing here or Zoom. I don't know if people know if if they're using Skype anymore. I think it's on Zoom now. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but the 90 day program implements one-on-one coaching, mindfulness, everybody gets access. I have an online subscription that has meditation and yoga, do it your own pace programs like the shift to sobriety, the shift to self-love. All of that is on, on my website now. Okay. So staying busy with all yeah, of that stuff. Yeah. Now. Congrats on the new store launch. That's exciting. I like the shirt. I'll have to go check it out. Oh, thank yeah. you. Where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? So it's my, my name is my website, DonnieStarkins.com. It's Donnie with a Y. Uh, my Instagram is Donnie underscore Starkins. Those are probably the easiest ways. I mean, the links, the profile, the link in my Instagram profile, which it might be that article I was talking about, but I'll change it back. My website will have all of that stuff. There's 10 free meditations. There's a journal on there you could download. There's a lot of free content also. And I also give every coaching or like anybody that wants a free 45 minute coaching call, a free call too and you can access all that information on the on the website yeah awesome perfect well this has just been awesome donnie i really appreciate you being here sharing yourself and connecting to the yoga teacher circle community and podcast so thanks again oh thank you and just uh, an acknowledgement back i mean i think if there's any teacher out there that's kind of on a very similar path with different trainings and experiences and sobriety it's definitely you so I appreciate the ask for having me on. And if there's any way I can help or be a resource, please let me know. Yeah, Thanks, Sonia. I really appreciate that. I really, really do. Thank you so much for listening in today. I'd love to stay connected with you in between episodes. You can find me on Instagram at Taylor underscore Ray Yoga and join the free private yoga teacher circle Facebook group, which is full of some pretty awesome and badass yoga teachers. 